Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast, episode 103 with Katra Corbett. Um, I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys today. Uh, I met Katra during the Desert Rats Ultra Marathon. She's a wonderful, just amazing person. Um, when you're around her, she just lifts everybody's spirits. She's so awesome, so incredibly focused and dedicated to running and ultra running that she is just quite frankly amazing uh she's awesome uh recently she took on this amazing adventure so we we get into all this in the podcast but basically catcher ran desert rats and then took four days off (laughs) and then went on her own fkt on this route called the mirror ramble route which is basically a 310 mile trail kind of trail um that john muir walked from san francisco all the way to yosemite um she did that for four days after running 140 miles through the desert um and so on this episode we talk about that adventure and really fkts in general are just these amazing things it means if you don't know what it means it means fastest known time uh and i love it because it's it's basically a self-made adventure. Um, it's not a big event. There's not hundreds of people running. In fact, you know, Catra was really the only one taking this on. Uh, so it's just you and your crew, uh, and you're just going and you're just, it's funny. Like I'm sure people saw her running and no one knew she was on this 310 mile quest. And that kind of, fascinates me and kind of captures my imagination so we talk quite a bit about that uh experience she just had um another racer we raced with jay lee um was one of the people on her crew and he is just also a wonderful person so in a few weeks uh, i'm going to put together a desert rats uh kind of part two of stories from fellow racers uh and crew members and jay lee will be making an appearance on that and he's an awesome awesome dude um catra also and i really want to highly suggest this because i'm part way through her book right now uh she wrote a book recently called reborn on the run and uh the subtitle is my journey from addiction to ultra marathons uh i mean you can find catra's story she's told it many many times um she's used it to empower other people but it's a story of you know, going from being addicted to drugs to basically making the choice to change, change her life and become this incredible athlete. And it's very inspiring. The book is excellent. So it's called Reborn on the Run. Um, she even mentioned to me how there are um, people in various rehab programs that are kind of doing a book club with her story and her book. And I just love that because I love the idea of sharing your story, all the ups and downs of it and people being able to draw power from it and being able to change their own lives based on some of your hardships. I think, I think that, and the way it kind of spreads, spreads and it spreads goodness. And I've said, since I've started this podcast, that's always the goal. Like, I want to spread goodness with this thing and and I want I want people to take away power. I want people to be empowered 
And I think one of the best ways we can be empowered is through story and through other people's journeys because you can kind of be like, okay, if this person was able to change their lives around live around and accomplish these amazing feats, like maybe I can do the same thing. And what I've been thinking a lot about since recording this podcast is this idea of choice. And every single day you have a choice. You have millions of choices and you are the one ultimately able to make these choices. So like if you're in some situation you don't necessarily want to be in, um, and sometimes we can almost feel overwhelmed. Like we're in like this ocean of like, I am in, like you almost can feel overwhelmed to the point where like, I have absolutely zero control over anything. And it's super frustrating. It can get you depressed. Um, it's a, it's a intimidating place to be, but you have to understand like, even in those most like dire circumstances, you still have the power of choice. And Sometimes maybe the things you can't control are extremely powerful, but you can control something in any situation. Um, I think back, I listened a while ago to a podcast with Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote, um, she's a writer. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love and stuff like that. And she was talking about being super depressed to the point where she was basically like crying and kind of like torn down every single day um, sitting in her kitchen and then she realized, she's like, you know what? I can still be crying. I can still be super depressed, but I can do this standing on one foot. <laughs> and as ridiculous as that sounds, once she realized that and just stood up and stood on one foot, she's like, you know what? I do have, I do have like the smallest iota of control in this moment. And so maybe I can apply that. And then it started snowballing. So I think that's super cool. Um, Catra's story is incredible, super inspiring. Um, the story of her John Muir ramble route, I love adventure stories. So I totally dig that. And like I said, Catra is just, she's such a wonderful person and she's just spreading joy and goodness and empowerment to everybody. And it's it's super cool to see. So definitely check out her book, Reborn on the Run. Um, yeah, so uh, let's get into it. Oh, also, if you guys, if this is your first uh, Like a Bigfoot episode, be sure to check out our catalog. We're over 100 episodes now. I guarantee you there's going to be athletes, uh, people who have stories that will you will connect with or stories that will inspire you. Uh, I've been super grateful. I, for the people who I've been able to sit down and have a conversation with on this podcast. It's, it's, it blows my mind pretty much every time I go back and look through kind of the catalog of guests that, that have, uh, shared, shared their time with me. So super, super grateful for that. Super grateful for Katra. So let's get this podcast started. Uh, episode number one Oh three. So yeah, Katra, um, one of the things, and we were just talking about your book, which, uh, is called reborn on the run. Um, and it's really, it's really good. And like, we were just talking about how powerful it is, um, to share your story. Uh, but the thing I want to ask you about a little bit 
before we, cause you know, you've done all these amazing ultra runs and all of these adventures that I like for sure want to hear about. Um, but I want to ask you like, I don't know. Some people sometimes just feel stuck in life, like stuck in like the same routine, stuck in the same habits. Um, and I think we've all experienced this uh, to a certain extent, but like when you're stuck in some sort of routine or unhealthy habit, like how do you, how do you get yourself out of that? So, well, with having like an addiction or something like that, obviously getting help is the number one priority. And I tell people that like you should, you know, seek professional help because I'm not a professional. Yes. Yeah. You know, different anxiety and depression and things like that. But getting unstuck just on everyday things where you're feeling like, you know, you're just doing a repetitious thing, going to the same job and, you know, you're not doing anything. What I suggest is that people need to find something they're passionate about, first of all, and go with it. Make time. You know, you need to always make time for yourself. And I think so many people, especially parents, you know, the husband and wife are both working and you have kids and things like that. It gets hard to be able to make time for yourself. But if you don't make that time for yourself, you do get stuck and you become unhappy. And whether you notice it or not, I mean, the people around you do, and it doesn't all affect your kids, it'll affect your spouse. So you always need to make just time to do something for yourself. I don't necessarily, to, you know, a lot of people that probably listen to you are runners. So I would say make time for at least 30 minutes a day during the week just to do some exercise and, you know, take care of your body. And if you're, you know, not a runner, go to the gym for you know, just start out short, but make, make that time for yourself. Commit to getting up a little extra early or, you know, maybe just during your work day, get out and take a 30 minute walk, you know, from work and it's going to help you feel better. And then you'll feel unstuck and you'll be able to start planning different things when you make a little bit of time for yourself. Yeah. No, that's, that's so key. Like I know I've had friends in the past getting, you know, trying to get back in shape and stuff. And my, number one advice is like, Hey, just 30 minutes every day. Like don't miss it. Don't miss a day and just do it consistently this whole time. That's all you need to. I mean, and it's going to prolong your life to getting out and exercise. Cause if you just look at like, you know, in my area where I live in the Bay area and California, it's just like people commute for hours. I mean, you're not even going that far, but the commute takes you two hours each way just to get, somewhere that would normally take maybe 45 minutes, but just with the amount of traffic here in the Bay Area, these people are stuck in their cars. And, you know, I always just say, you know, if you could try to, you know, you might have to switch things in life and get a job closer to where you live. I mean, it's not easy to say, but, I mean, when you have kids, and stuff, I keep thinking about people that have families, that sometimes they have to move so far away because it's cheaper. But, you know, there's taking transit, like, a, a bar, a light rail, or a train, you know, maybe not sitting in your car, so you have that kind of free time to do your work, and then maybe when you're at work, you can take an extra longer lunch and do your exercise or whatever, but it's just like, you know, I mean, it's easy to say, like, oh, you shouldn't be closer to where you <laughs> live, but here in the Bay Area, man, these people are having to live far, you know, to an hour and a half, two hour commute just to wow. be able to afford housing, and that's why I'm moving out of here, I mean, yeah. Where we live, you know, it's super expensive. And my boyfriend, Phil, is working in Bishop. And so he bought a house there. And it was like, what we paid, he's been paying for rent for the two two years here. He could have bought that house already, <laughs> pretty much. 
Wow. So yeah, it's the same. It's you know we have a five bedroom house with a guest house here, and we have that same size house in Bishop for like way less than half the price. I mean, these houses here are going for like one point seven million. Wow. And it's just a rental, and we're just paying somebody's mortgage now. <laughs> So, yeah, that's why I was like, it's cheaper for me to quit my job <laughs> yeah. than for him to pay this rent while I'm living here. So, all that said, you know, so you got to just kind of make make time, you know, and and sometimes, you know, maybe just changing that job and get it, you know, get a closer job, but just, like, you know, look for that because it's not worth, like, cutting, you know, days and shortening your life by not being able to, you know, live and work closer to where you live, you know, it's, it, it, you know, look at people, you know, heart disease and things like that, that run rapid. And even in healthy, so-called healthy people, it's just the stress of traveling like that to work. Yeah. It's going to shorten your life. So just, you know, to try to find something closer, you know, or find a job, you know, where you're going to be happier at. Yeah. People I get s- stuck in these jobs. <laughs> I was just thinking about stuck again. And, they constantly complain, but you know, we have a choice in life to do something about it, you know, and most of the time you can, you can, you can go find another job or, you know, especially now with social media, you, it's so much easier to, um, you know, to talk to people and, you know, they can put in a word for you or whatever, you know, you just on social media, you can say, Hey, I'm looking for this type of job. Totally. To make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I think the idea of, of like the idea of choice and once we realize that we do have a lot of control over our lives and choice and you know once we once people realize that it is really like a powerful thing like almost like a powerful tool they that people can use i guess yeah i agree like i said it's just a matter of being able to commit and and go forward and and I know a lot of people that have changed you know, like their whole careers just because they realized like it wasn't getting any better and they've been in, unhappy for 20 years working the same job and it's like once they got out and maybe they had to take a little bit of a pay cut they were so much more happier and you yeah. see it yeah you know? so running. yeah so when did you kind of like make the choice to get into running and especially ultra running because I looked at your ultra sign up and I was like, whoa, Catra's done more ultra runs than any other ultra sign up page I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and you know what? Some of them are not even on there. Yeah, I know. Cause then <laughs> but, I'm like, you know, now they have, like, there's like fat asses and different 50 K's and 50 yeah. milers that I've done that are even on there. And then of course all my <laughs> solo stuff, I exactly. consider the race, but those are things I've done. So with adding, like, doing altered distances, like, even side projects, I've done, you know, well over 300, you know, different things. But so making time, yeah. So when I got clean and sober back in 90, oh, my God, it's been 25 years now. So I didn't start running for two until two years after I started when I got clean and sober. And I started by just exercising in a gym, and I got bored. And so one day I decided, I'm going to run, you know, this three-mile route that I was walking every day. I used to take my dog on a walk, and actually it was four miles. And I decided, okay, I'm leaving my dog at home today, and I'm going to run this. So I just put on my, you know, gym, you know, shoes. They weren't, you know, they were like cross trainers or something. Who knows what they were back then. And I decided to run. And I went out the door, and I ran, and I felt so good that when I 
when I finished, I was like, oh my God, I just ran the whole way without stopping, you know, because I was already getting in really good shape just by working out in the gym and doing the elliptical and things like that and lifting weights. And so later on that week, there was a flyer inside inside of Barnes and Nobles for a 10K race coming up like the following week. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to do a 10K. So I asked my mom, I said, do you want to walk this? Because they have a 5K walk. And she's like, oh, yeah. So within two weeks of my very first time running, I ran a 10K and finished and thought I was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I didn't know pace. I just went balls out. And I was wearing all black. I was still in my goth face. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. you know, 90 degrees out. And I didn't drink water. I didn't do anything. But I finished. And I was just like, wow, you know, and I got a medal and a ribbon. And, you know, I was so excited. So I got back to my car. And there was a flyer, because this is back in the day, no social media, remember, this is back in 96. (laughs) So there's no Facebook, there's no, you know, ultra sign up, there was nothing back then. And I, on my car, there was a flyer for the San Francisco Marathon, and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to run a marathon, and it was like in three months. Yeah. So (laughs) I went to Barnes and Nobles and bought a book on training for your first marathon, and skipped up to the chapter that was like three months training, you know, cause I only had three months to train for this. And it was like, okay, nine miles for your long run on Sunday. And I was like, okay. And this is before Garmin, you know, most of you people don't know there wasn't these things back then. <laughs> You're too young to understand, but you had to get in your car and drive and set the odometer. So you would know how far to go. So yeah. I did four and a half miles and there was a gas station. I was like, oh, right on. Okay. I know where to turn around tomorrow at this gas station. So that's how I started training for my marathon. And first year I did, you know, I did that marathon and I felt great. And I was like already planning my next one in the middle of the marathon and I hadn't even finished. And I was like, I'm going to Hawaii. I'm running Honolulu marathon next. <laughs> and so the second, I mean, if I would have known about ultras then, I would have went right to an ultra, but I didn't, you know, so then I started running the second year. I started running all the marathons in California. Like, and I knew nobody that ran. Okay. So I didn't know like how to do any of this. I just learned on my own. Yeah. Like I got these things in my head and I'm like, okay, I'm running every marathon now. <laughs> it was just like random. Like nobody convinced me. I was like doing shit in my head. Like I gotta do this. So what, what kind of, of um, what kind of lessons were you learning doing this like you know learning on your own and on the fly like what kind of lessons were you were you picking up well i was learning the hard way i didn't know anything like the the only reason i knew that i needed to carry well you know there was water on the regular marathon route so that was not a big deal but then i realized when i started running all these marathons in california that my very first trail marathon i was like oh reading you know they sent me you know i sent the check-in and, and signed up and then they sent me this flyer and it said that you needed to carry a water bottle and I was like oh shit I gotta buy some sort of thing a waste pack or something so I went out and bought that because you know it was I, I had no idea there was like gonna be like no water out there you know I didn't know anything about a trail <laughs> I didn't run on a trail so the race that I did it probably had about for the marathon like 7,000 feet of climbing in it Wow. And I had never did that. I, I know. It was in the Marin Headlands. And it was this group that puts on these marathons. And they're notorious for knowing that there's like, you know, you get there's like three places to get water. And then they just kind of leave some cookies out for you, which, of course, I didn't eat and some fruit. So I learned quickly. And right uh, at my very first trail 
uh, race, I, this older gentleman was out there and he was happened to be running all the marathons in California too. So we became friends and he was like some 25 years older than me and he was just like this wealth of knowledge. And so, you know, I got through that with his help and then, you know, he's like, Oh, which one are you running next? And, and we happened to be running the same few the next, you know, the next few times. And I, at this point, I started doing back-to-back marathons and then I heard people talking about these ultras and I asked him, I said, have you run an ultra? And he goes, yeah, I ran a 50K once. And I said, well, I'm going to run an ultra. And at this point, doing back-to-back marathon, you're ready to do a 50K, no problem. So that same year I did a 50K and he went with me to, and we went to do it together, but I ended up like leaving him (laughs) and I ended up finishing, but it was the hardest thing I ever did at that point because you have to pace yourself, and like I said, I didn't really know other than this, my friend Jimbo, who lives, you know, in a different part of the state, you know, and I see him at races, I didn't know how to run a 50K. I started running right up the hill, and I could hear people that were walking, they're like, is this your first 50K? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you should be walking the hills, and I'm like, this is a race, it's a running race. So I didn't, you know, I, I learned really quickly in a 100 plus degree temperature, and getting dehydrated, not knowing anything about how to drink and eat and salt and this and that. So so I learned, I mean, just on my own, I basically learned everything. And at that point, though, when I finished my first 50K, Ultra Running Magazine, um, you know, they, it's in color now. It used to be in black and white, but I started subscribing to that. So, you know, that gave you advice and knowledge, you know, to be able to, okay, oh, this is how you train for this. This is how you train for that. So that's kind of how I started learning. And after that 50K, I signed up for a 50-miler and got through that and did another 50K or 50-miler that was in the worst conditions ever. And in the middle of that, I said, if I finish this, I'm going to run a 100-miler. Wow. So I finished it, and I signed up for the next 100-miler that came up. So in less than four months, I was running my first 100-miler after completing my first 50K. That's so cool. What was it about the ultra-running races that like really kind of connected with you i think because i found a passion i always tell people that are in recovery in order to stay and maintain your sobriety and stay clean and sober you have to find a passion in life and that's what people don't end up doing and they end up going back out because they go back to the same people and the same crowd and they're not you know finding something that is helping you know helping make them feel good about themselves and build confidence and things like that. So finding the running gave me something that I had to, you know, commit to that I had to train if I wanted to run these distances. It gave me discipline, something that I never really had and confidence. I mean, it gives you so much confidence to be able to do something that nobody, you know, is doing, you know, at the time. And like I said, there wasn't, that much advice out there and I certainly didn't know anybody that ran at the time and so it just it just helped build me up build my confidence and that you know when you have confidence and you're feeling positive and you're doing something good for yourself you're not gonna go back out and want to drink or do drugs you know you're gonna keep trying to achieve what you can achieve by being clean and sober because if I wasn't clean and sober I certainly wouldn't be able to do what I was doing yeah yeah definitely when uh so you know, when did you, what was your first hundred miler? Cause I know you've ran, I mean, <laughs> countless, <laughs> countless hundred milers. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> Rocky Raccoon was my very first one. So that okay. was the next 
one coming up closest to when I finished that last 50 miler in December. So that was in uh, February. So it was in Huntsville State Park in Texas. And once again, I learned on the fly. Yeah. I, had, I you know, I knew you should change socks, but I didn't know my feet were going to swell up and <laughs> I was going to get these blisters because I was wearing, you know, I'm used to running marathons and, you know, I did, like I said, a few ultras before then, but oh my God, the humidity was horrible. I mean, I never, I ran, you know, Honolulu Marathon a couple of times and then the humidity, but this was like my very first, like, it was my first hundred and having humidity that was like 90% and it was like hot and then it just was horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was just a lot of learning, you know, it's yeah. like back then and I always have funny stories like, you know how we have the squeezy packets of baby food. That's like the best invention I think of all time because I eat a lot of baby food when I'm running. And back then you had to have the little glass jar. <laughs> it was like, yeah, so a couple of my jars broke inside my drop bag. And, you know, just the invention of certain things really make life so much easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, just stuff like that. It was like so inconvenient back in the day to do these that you just figured out a way. And so, you know, I was even through all the the struggles that I had out there, I, I you know, I just was like hell bent on finishing no matter what. So I got really bad blisters and had to overcome that, you know, trying to put my shoes on. My feet didn't fit into the shoes. They had to lance like the blisters and my skin was coming off because my feet were wet because of the humidity and it had rained a little bit. It was it was just like the worst experience ever. But at the same time, finishing, it was just like, whoa, you know, and it was like, almost like I was having this outer body experience. So I was dating this guy at the time and he wasn't a runner. He went to go see where JFK was shot and all this other like stuff he was doing. Why am I out here running a hundred miles? He wasn't even thrilling me or anything. <laughs> so, I mean, he came at like the 50 mile mark to see how I was doing. And he's like, oh my God, are you still going to keep going? So when I finished, we went back to the hotel and we had to fly out right away and um, I had, he had to go pick up my drop bag or something. I forgot. And I'm, so I took a bath and then I'm out crawling around cause I can't even stand up this point at this point. And I, I couldn't walk for like three days cause my feet were so bad, but I, he comes back and he goes, what are you doing? And I go, where's my ultra running magazine? And he's like, why? And I said, well, I want to see when the next hundred is because I'm not sure if I like this or not, but I have to do another one right away. So I was pretty much hooked right away. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I was just, I'm trying to imagine, you know, if someone hasn't ran in any ultra race or any ultra endurance thing and they're listening to this, they would probably be like, why did she go back? Like, that sounds very miserable. <laughs> <laughs> but it isn't. The more you learn, you gain strength. And it's yeah. just like anything. You start a workout program and then the hardest part is going, you know, and then it's like, sure, you're sore and all this crap in the beginning but once you build up you know and it's the same with ultras running 100 miles you learn you have to go through the process of learning like oh my god i need bigger shoes you know it's like you and you have to change things and that's why you keep doing it it's just you know you got to go back and see what what you can do what more you can do yeah. you know yeah, that's so why i don't just do 100 and then i started doing 200 and it's like i got to keep pushing yeah so right now just sticking with the hundreds real quick so when you sign up for a hundred now what's like the mindset going in are you like still really excited about it or you know is it kind of like 
All right, showing up for another day of work. Well, actually, I am excited, but I'm more excited for all the people that I'm going to meet out there okay. that are doing their first hundred. Cool. Because they go, oh, you must not get nervous. You must not. And I go, well, no, I still, you know, 100 miles is a long way to go. And I have had many DNFs. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You twist an ankle. I can get a bladder infection. I mean, things happen out there. So I don't go in being cocky like, oh, I know I can do this. And I have way back in the past, I was always like, you know, I got through, you know, like 70 hundreds before I ever had a DNF. And after that, you're like, eh, yeah, let's rethink what you can do. Things happen out there. You yeah. know, it's a long way to go. So and I, I always get excited. I just love being out there and I love the people and I just, you know, my big thing is I love like when, of course, when we can see each other, you know, and on out back. And so everybody can cheer each other on, you know, yeah. and I just, I just love, I love the distance. I just love challenging myself and it's always different. Even if I'm at the same race again and again, it's always going to be a different challenge. And, and some days it's totally easy, you know, it, you, everything lines up and you're like, wow, that was like uneventful. I like, <laughs> killed it. But then other times you're like, what the fuck? What's <laughs> happening to me? Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm getting old. You know, and then it's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> keep going. And, you know, every day can't be perfect. And that's how you, you know, you become stronger, you know, that way. It's like, oh, yeah. You know what? It's still a challenge. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. So uh, I do. I want to ask you a whole bunch about the John Muir Ramble route because when we were doing desert rats that was kind of like your next thing so we did this stage race through the yeah. desert friend for me it was like the you know this like the biggest thing i've ever done and then to imagine taking only like four days off and then stepping up to this <laughs> like 300 mile fkt just was like so mind-blowing yeah, that was probably not the smartest thing to do it for after the desert rats, but I didn't really have a choice just because yeah. I wanted to get it done before I moved. And then I'm crewing at Badwater this year, and I ran it last year, and I was like, wow. And, you know, one of our friends, of course, Jay Lee, who was at Desert Rats, he said he would help me, and this other guy, Dave. So it just worked out where I was like, oh, shit, I got to do this, you know, four days after. But. It was fun. So I read, I bought this book at REI like eight years ago. And this couple wrote this book about, it was called the Muir Ramble Route. And John Muir referred to it as the California Transcon, but they called it the Muir Ramble Route because they decided they wanted to walk this route that he actually hiked as close as possible. Because nowadays, I mean, there's some of the things have, you know, some of the roadway was freeway now. And so they decided when they were doing the research, because they had to do all this research, that they were going to make it, you know, whatever possible to go away from a roadway and be in more of a wilder place, you know, like, so the beginning of it mostly went along the bay, which was nice because it kept you off the side streets. And, you know, when you're going on main roads, that's not exciting. So they did all the research. And so they came up with the route that was closest to where he was. And when he, and some of it is actual all routes that he actually walked, like, you know, many, many parts of it were roads he walked on and they are, they used to be toll roads and now they're, you know, considered highways, but they sent you like as close as possible. So anyways, I bought this book and I was like, Oh, I'm going to run this one day. And so that's why I decided to do it when I did it. And 
you know, I had a, I had a uh, crew and I figured I could do it in six days, but I was pretty tired from doing desert rats. So with that said, so we decided, you know, like the first day I did 53 miles and then we finished in Fremont where my house is. Um, so we stayed the night there and then we knew the next day we would go up to Henry Co. And then we could drive back 40 minutes and sleep at home again before we launched and just started going forward and, and staying wherever along the way. So the second day was a challenge because the t- uh, we got a flat and a tire that, and Jay wasn't telling me he didn't want to like freak me out in the beginning. And I guess he kept putting air in it, but nobody said anything, which, no way. you know, that's how your crew is supposed to be. Yeah. And he <laughs> waited until I got as far as I could. And then he realized the air was not like holding in the tire and he's, like, I got to change this tire. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, we got a flat. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Just put the, you know, because I knew my boyfriend was going to be back and to help us the following day. So I'm like, just get the spare on there. And I'm going to run up the road and mark where I'm leaving off today, which ended up being a little bit shorter. But it became challenging. So we were on, like, bike paths. And and uh, then the, the third day, we ended up going through a trail section. It was supposed to only be 38 miles. But we did not know that the entrance on the other side isn't open past seven miles. Like you have to park seven miles away to come in. And so me and Jay didn't know until we were in the middle of this when they arrived, you know, our crew arrived and they're like, yeah, the gate's locked, even though it says it's supposed to be open until five in iron six. And it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And so our crew guy had to run into us to bring us cold drinks because pretty much there wasn't a very many places to get water out there. There was like two spots. Wow. So it was just me and Jay Lee and Jay Lee has only done like one ultra then plus that desert rats. And that was the week before. So he did some epic shit. Yeah, before, man. And then he's out here. He, with he me trying to keep me motivated. I, just, I talked to him last week actually. And he was talking did about you? this section. He's like, Oh my God, man. Like you, we got to this. What was it? Like a state park or something or. Yes, it was okay. Henry Coe State Park. And yeah. it is very remote. It's yeah. like, and it was a lot harder than I remember when I've done runs in there. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. He yeah, was like, he, we got. He was so good at keeping me calm. <laughs> he was like, Even we got we to got the lost, section. I told you we were getting lost. He did. Well, and he was like, you just don't realize when you do an organized race, there's aid stations every six to whatever, mm-hmm. eight miles. And he's like, you don't realize how much easier that makes things because when you don't have an aid station it's for cool. plus 20 he's like it's it gets brutally hard yeah because we you have to have enough food and like i said we only had two places to get water in that whole 47 mile or 40 whatever miles we did it was supposed to be 38 plus seven added on there so 40 whatever miles we went we had where there was two places to get water and that was it so, and actually our crew person ran in with warm ginger ale to us because by the time he got there, it was warm. So when we got to mile 38, he had stuff, you know, just some drink for us. And then we still had to go that seven freaking miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was that, that, but it only got br- more brutal the next day <laughs> that we're out of the state park. And I kept, every time I read the book I was like okay fire breaks and I was thinking fire roads I was not even I guess I didn't really know what a fire break is but I did until I was on it a fire break is just like a tractor goes and makes a trail for if there's a fire so the 
fire doesn't skip over the road or, you know, and to cause more fire. And these, these things are not runnable. It's like thick dust. It was like that powdery dust up to your ankles because it was just graded by a tractor, this section, and it went straight up or straight down. There was no in between. <laughs> so, and you could see the freeway, the highway, or not the freeway, but the highway down below. And I was like, this is fucked up. If I just stayed on there, it would be so much easier. Yeah. So, And that was an option in the book because that is where John Muir went was along the highway. But they took you off of it because just to make it safer and to make it more of a wilderness experience. So we stayed on that pretty much almost the whole way. And then maybe the last, the last section into the next park, we got off of it and stayed on the freeway because I was just over it. I mean, I was in road shoes and I didn't have my trekking poles. And I kept saying, oh, it'll probably get flatter. So I'm not going to put my trail shoes on. And it was just so dusty and dirty and horrible, <laughs> that section. Is that, was that one of the worst, like, trail? Yeah, that was probably... That was the worst section of the road. Okay. That was like, because it was just so straight up and down. And there was a section, and my friend Dave was documenting it. He's making like a little mini documentary, like no more than 10 minutes about it. Oh, that would be but, cool. Oh, my God. I, we were on hands and knees going up. Like, literally, we were slipping backwards. That's how steep it was. Like, the, there's geez. no standing straight up on it. We were hands and knees oh on God. the ground climbing up. In this, like, loose dirt, weird dirt stuff. Loose dirt, uh-huh. Oh, my God. That <laughs> sounds terrible. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So then after that, it got better because then I was following. There was a bike uh, route, and it's along a canal, and it's the California bike something route. And it just goes along farmlands and canals, and it was not exciting. There was a lot of almond trees, a lot of cows, some wineries, and it just was, like, straightforward it kind of reminded me of bad water just nothing just keep going forward you know there was and then i've started at you know after about 40 miles of that and then you start seeing the mountains and you're like okay i'm now i'm heading towards coulterville and then i will get into yosemite so so that just you know it was uneventful through all that it was just very flat and, yeah you know, about how many miles about how many miles is that at that point into that, we were about 200 and something okay. of that, so total. I mean, oh, of that, just the flatness was only probably about, most of it had some, like I said, the hills through Henry Co and all that. So the flattest part was in the beginning for the first 100, and then we started climbing a lot. Gotcha. Around mile 80, we started climbing. Okay. And then it went flat at... For another, you know, maybe 40 to 50 miles, and, and then it started climbing again. So the last 66 miles was pretty brutal. So those guys, we got through all of that, and then Phil, my boyfriend, had to go back to work, and we knew that, you know, he was going to have to go because I was running a day behind. And so Jay and Dave, obviously, they were going to both come with me, and they had to carry stuff, and we were going to spend the night on the trail. <laughs> so... It was pretty rough for them because they ate a lot and they had to carry food. They like, carried, I think it was like 18 cliff bars. I'm like, for an overnight. <laughs> I'm like, I carried all my own food and had a little pack. But David obviously had to carry some camera equipment. But those guys were so funny because they had to eat so much when they were out there. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was very rugged. I mean, 
they were getting really worked. I mean, we were we were all just encouraging each other. It was it was not my thing anymore because I was responsible for those two. Yeah. And you know, Jay being the less experienced of the two, but Dave was getting blisters because he was carrying a fast pack and it was like a little bit heavier than he was he's normal to car- normally carrying, you know. And so it was it was so fun though. And we got to one point, so. We survived, you know, we got through the 4th of July, dusty dirt, and, you know, very, we went, I guess, the morning, so we got water, and then the night that we camped out, it was fine, because neither one of them have slept out in the wilderness without a tent, so, <laughs> and we, I'm like, it's going to be okay, and they're like, oh, the bears, I'm like, no, there's going to be no bears, don't worry about it, <laughs> <laughs> so we all slept right next to each other. That's so cool. <laughs> so funny the ground and you know not that comfortable jay was obviously comfortable because he was snoring all night so me and Dave were kind of cold that's what i heard he like legendarily from uh from jay's tent <laughs> yeah he, he snores definitely <laughs> he knows he does he, he told me day one and i was like all right like a baby yeah <laughs> he was sleeping like a baby so the next day so we had we got water the day before and that was our last water we had to go 15 miles before our next water so waking up in in the morning with a dry camp and at this point there's no trail and i'm like what the fuck is with this book and i go okay because i did this next section by myself and i got completely lost and so that's why i'm glad i had them and we were like with our gaia app and we're like we just have to go straight up there's no trail because this area has been burned and they haven't been through it. The couple that wrote the book, since yeah. 2006 when they did it, and I even had been emailing with them. And some people have biked it, but the bikers stay on the road through that section. Okay. So they don't have to go through it. And another guy hiked it, and he just kind of had to go straight up too. So we just, you know, gunned for the uh, fire tower because we were supposed to end up at the fire tower. And so we made our way with bushes that were like up to my neck. <laughs> and so I'm so short. It was like cutting us and down trees were falling over things. We were like so worked just going to this one little section. And we still, like I said, we still had to go after that six mile section. We had to go another until mile 15 that day to get any water. Wow. So then we got on the road into Tuolumne and that was just a nightmare. And it was like traffic coming at us. And until we had to stay on the road for like five or six miles until we headed down and then got on the trail section uh, on this old big oak flat road which is really cool and so luckily i was there because they're like good thing you have gone through here before because they had no clue like where i was going and i go it's overgrown it's an old road that's not on any map they don't want people out there because it's pretty dangerous you know the park doesn't have it on a map but you can read online about this road and people go and hike it so i hiked it last or ran it last year with my boyfriend and so this year there was a rock fall and another big chunk of the road was missing. And it looked like when we got there, there was no way. It looked so dangerous that we, there's no way we're going to make it over it. And me and Jay were like, no, we can't do this. This is too dangerous. And then I just kind of sat down and I'm like, fuck this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm turning around. We're just going to go back and we're going to go on the road. And Dave thought, wait a minute, you guys, we haven't come this far not to be able to go through and I'm trying to look down. I'm like, it's, there's no way of going down unless you had a rope and to get across that way and climb up. And so he kept it together and he went across and he went up and he sourced it out and figured a safe way across. And so me and Jay were like kind of freaking out at this point. If it was just me and Jay, we would quit right there and turn around. And yeah. So get out. how hard, 
I mean, so that's at the end of this whole adventure almost, right? Oh, yeah. This is at the end. We're trying to get to Yosemite. And I think we had another, through the, all that rocky section, it was another good three miles. This section is really bad. It's all boulder fields and stuff for about three to four miles. Wow. Just climbing through stuff. Yeah. So we got through that. And once I made it across that, I took off on them. And they were going really slow. And I can tell Jay was like definitely going really slow and being more cautious. But I already knew that area. So they were like, how did you see a road down there? And I'm like, there's a patch of asphalt. We have to climb, down climb. And they just were looking at me like, she doesn't know where she's going. And then when they got down there, they're like, oh, my God, you're right. And I go, I told you. I go, if had I not been through this before last year, I would have just been ending everything right then. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad I did that section because – it is a lot of route finding. <laughs> yeah. But I knew it, and I got through, and then we got to the valley floor, and I was just over it. I'm just like, oh, God, we just got to make it to the, the the building that it used to be called the Cont Memorial, the Cont In-N-Out. It's called the, I keep forgetting the name, because they had to change all the names in Yosemite a couple years ago. They were sued, <laughs> so everything's different. Wait, really? They were <laughs> anyway, sued so, to change yeah. names? Well, by... So the company that used to own all the concession stands and uh, the restaurants and stuff, they actually had a clause and they owned the names of all of the different places. So at some point, many, 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 many years ago, they uh, trademarked all the names. And so when the park, yeah, yeah, it was all over the news a couple of years ago. So, like the Iwani Hotel is not the Iwani Hotel. Um, like the Yosemite Lodge is not the Yosemite Lodge. They had to change every single thing, all the names in Yosemite. So of the buildings. <laughs> so, Whoa, anyway, I didn't know that. That's so weird. The Cont Memorial, yeah, and now it's called the Conservatory something. Yeah. So that is our finishing. That was our finishing spot. So yeah. we made it there in seven days, nine hours, and. 49 minutes and i mean thanks to those two they really helped me through it i couldn't have been out there by myself especially the last 66 miles there's no way (laughs) i mean it was like we were like this little adventure group you know i just figured oh we're doing like an adventure run of some sort you know we're on a team here that's so (laughs) cool in the midst of all those rocks and the 60 miles were they just like, what did she get us into? <laughs> they, you know what, surprisingly enough, because I know both of them and they're really good crew people to have, yeah. that they didn't, I mean, Dave got really quiet when he got negative and I can, I mean, tell he was hurting and Jay would get quiet, but then, you know, every now and then it would be like, all right, team, good job. You know, we would shout one of those out just to encourage each other, you know, and it's just what we had to do. And I got grumpy a few times and was snapping at them. But, you know, I apologized later. I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm just in. And they understood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They okay. were just being quiet. And I get, I get vocal when I get <laughs> irritated. And, uh, I mean, they were just being quiet. They're just like, yeah, we know what she's going through. So they were, yeah. Uh, any kind of adventure, I'm taking these two guys with me. They I mean. Awesome. They were just yeah. I at least know Jay's like a rock star crew. Like. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, being able to help Sandra across the country, it's like, come on, he was the one and only crew guy. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm like, man, Jay is just like the best crew 
like that a person probably yeah. could ask for. He is, and so is Dave. And together, yeah. they, I'm like, you guys have to start a business <laughs> together because <laughs> they are so like anal with the maps. And like Jay was on it. Like when I was, and he taught Dave a lot. So when I was out there, like when my boyfriend Phil was pacing me, Jay was looking ahead at where we need to turn, where he can intersect us, like, and telling me, okay, I'll see you in three miles. Like, he had it dialed in. And that's why I made him the crew chief, because I knew Phil wasn't going to be around that much. And I'm like, Jay's on it. And he was just, I mean, I cannot thank him enough just for him being so amazing. Like, he went above and beyond what I even expected. Yeah. And and out there, he taught David Dave a lot on how to like figure stuff out and they were all over those like different maps and different, you know, they were going back and forth to see the fastest way through things and, you know, where they would drive around and meet me. So it was pretty cool. That is cool. So real quick, just, um, I know you mentioned this to me before, but the John Muir ramble route, what's, I mean, obviously it's not the John Muir trail, but like, how did he no, come up not. with and this? That's why it's called the mirror. Okay. What's that? How did he, like so the John Muir trial is something different and I've done that yeah times, and I have the FKT for a yo-yo on that that's and that's awesome. all through Yosemite and to Whitney and back and so this route it, and John Muir never walked the John Muir trail he's never it's just named after him okay he did so much with you know the Sierra Club and all that so when and he was a sheep herder out there but he actually never walked that so this came about is because he walked from san francisco to yosemite and that he that was the first time he came to california it was his very first time of seeing yosemite national park and the reason he went that way because back in the day people were coming and they would take the a boat to san francisco take the ferry to oakland and then they would take a train from oakland to sacramento and then take like a horse and buggy carriage to yosemite at that time a horse ride and he didn't want to go where the people were going and that is why he didn't walk a different route because people are like, why did he go that way when it was not a straight shot? And he did that because he wanted to go where he wasn't going to see the masses of people until yeah. he got to Yosemite. And then and he saw it for the first time, and then he realized that that place needed to be, you know, that's, he decided to live just outside of Yosemite for a year. And then he started with the Sierra Club and, and trying to keep things wild so it wasn't going to get overly built up and things like that. So it was his vision just from walking and, and seeing what he saw and arriving in Yosemite on that route. That's, you know, that's why people, you know, if you want to do it, you could do it that way. Yeah. Did you so, think about it, that? You know, he had a lot to do. Yeah. Oh, I did. So when I read the book, he did, the book that the couple wrote, it's called the Muir Ramble Route. And they write stories about John Muir in there and, you know, on the side, along with the instructions of the, the book and, and, and then their, you know, when they went through it. And so I try, you know, to envision what he would see. So even when we were running, like, and I had my pacers with me, and I didn't use music out there at all because I wanted to just be more aware of things. Like, I thought, oh, if he was here now, I'm going along the bay. He's going to see the birds I'm seeing, the flowers I'm seeing. And so I was trying to take all that in, even if I was in the city where I actually went through a lot of homeless camps in San Jose. I forgot to mention that there was an area that just was like very, I mean, I wouldn't go through that by myself. Yeah. And especially at night because it was just not a good safe area to go through. But 
I have my friend Joyce pacing me through there, which I carried pepper spray and a knife, but I'm just like, yeah, people shouldn't, if they're going to do this, never come through here at night. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to see pretty things around there. There was like a train trestle that was abandoned. And I'm like, oh, this has been here forever, you know, or the flowers along the route. But, you know, for the most part, that, that was probably the saddest part for me is to go through that whole homeless camp area going, this is where they're, they're, everybody's living is here. And I mean, the city, because nobody, I mean, it's public trails out there, but nobody would probably use it very often if you were going to run or hike. I mean, there was a lot of bicyclists out there, but I didn't see much more than other, you know, people that were, you know, just, you know, in an, an addiction, basically. And I got, I felt really sad when I went through there because I thought, you know what, I could have ended up here. Yeah. And I was going through this and I was just being grateful for, you know, getting help. And I'm like, these people can get help, but they're not ready to, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah but that was, that was, a, and that was a, probably a good eight mile section of that. And it's just like the city ignores it. It's like, just keep them in there and we don't have to look at them, you know, kind of thing. But there was needles and a lot of things like that around. So it, it's not a a safe area to be around. Yeah. You just got to be careful. Yeah. But, you know, it just makes me grateful that I found recovery and that I'm able to do what I do. And so, like I said, along the route, I tried to find the beauty, you know, I tried to see the birds and the ducks and actually one section we saw, um, baby bald eagles in the nest, which was just weird. It was just happened to be where Jay pulled over to crew for us. And I looked up and I said, you guys, there's eagles Wow! in this big telephone pole. Yeah, so just stuff like that. We saw pretty cool things. We saw elk out there and just, yeah, just really neat stuff. That's so cool. So when you, like, when you finish in Yosemite, what what was that feeling like? Because, I mean, this is a big thing. Like, it's a week-long adventure. And I personally, yeah. I love hearing about FKTs because... It, they just seem more personal, I guess, you know, like ultra races are they amazing are. and can be such great adventures, but like FKTs, like you're organizing them, you know, you finish and I, yeah. I got to imagine it's just you three looking around being like, we just did that. Yep. <laughs> there was no, well, actually it's funny because I ran by camp four cause I used to climb and my ex-husband's a big wall climber. And right when I finished this guy texts me and he, he's a climber. He goes, I just saw you running through camp four. And I go, Oh yeah, I was just finished this 310 mile thing. And this woman, she was walking and I saw her, she had this like baby thing with a dog in the front of her. And I was like, Oh, thinking, Oh God, how funny to me carrying their dog like a baby. <laughs> and it had like colored hair. And I was like, Oh, the dog is super cute. And she goes, Katra. And I was like, Oh shit. This lady knows me. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, hi. She goes, I'm one of your followers on Facebook. And, she happened not to be on her Facebook or anything for the week because they were camping and stuff. And I go, Oh, I'm in the middle of this thing. So it was like right then and there, I have two people that saw me that knew me out there. And so we got to the finish and there was this couple sitting at the bus stop because we went to the bus to take the bus back across, you know, to Phil was going to come later and we wanted to get food and he was going to pick us up. He had to drive from Bishop. And so we finished, took pictures and it was just like, we're done. You know, and yeah. we were, you know, I was very grateful. We all hugged and we were very happy. I was crying in the middle of it. And I usually do that even in a race. It's like, I'm not emotional at the end. I'm emotional. Like when I'm coming towards the end and then yeah. I'm just happy to be done. <laughs> and yeah. so 
you know, we were done and we were talking to this couple and Dave happened to be recording it. He just stopped the video camera because he wanted to record us just aftermath and talking about our experience, you know. And this couple was talking to us and, you know, we were telling him because they're like, oh, what, what hike did you just do? <laughs> and then he, they, of course, went on and said, well, she just ran this whole route. And then we started telling them about it. And so, you know, and we said our goodbyes. We got on the bus. And so, you know, a week passes and a bunch of people have been writing about it. And this vegan website, uh, Veggie News, even wrote about it. And the girl happens to be a vegan, which we didn't really have a conversation. We didn't say names or anything. And she chimed in on one of the threats. She goes, oh, my God. I was sitting with you talking. She goes, how funny, what a small world. She goes, <laughs> I, was even I just realized how huge what you just did. She goes, I thought it was big, but oh my God, you're incredible. So it was like, isn't that so bizarre that it was just like meant to be that she was at our finish line and then she comes across the story about me and she happens to be a vegan and now That's she's so following cool. me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's just fun stuff like that. And it was just like, you know, and I'm already planning my next, Thing. I'm doing this Sierra <laughs> El Camino Sierra route and it goes from LA to Tahoe and it's 424 miles so I already asked Jay and Dave to be part of it it's all on the road but it's a route uh, it's 150 years old <laughs> this route yeah I'm gonna try to do that this year that rocks that's so cool I know so it'll be an FKT because I can't find anybody that's run it so there you go yeah <laughs> that's awesome well so I saw this post that dave made on facebook and it was like oh. it was the nicest like oh so good i almost cried so many times during it because i cried yeah <laughs> and basically it's just this story about being on the bus like after you're finished going back to your car i'm assuming um and this little yeah. girl just we'll looking yeah like looking at you um and honestly catcher like Cause you know, my daughters met you at the end of, of desert rats. And I'm just like, Catra looks like a real life superhero. And she like kind of is a real life superhero. You know what I mean? And to like have your kids see this like amazing athlete and this amazing person who just, you know, like, I don't know. He mentioned in there, like she saw a woman who could do anything. And I'm like, man, that's like, as a dad to girls, like, that is something I can't even put into words how important that is. I agree because I was that little – when I saw that little girl, she sat – it was so funny because the whole conversation her, – her dad was like a jokester, you can tell, because he was talking to all the other people on the bus He's yeah. like and outgoing, and he was much older. He, In fact, at first I thought it was the grandfather, so he obviously had her later in life. And there was a uh, – her little brother was probably maybe – nine I want to say or 10 because he was more chatty and and engaged and then the mom sat across from them and the little girl didn't speak at all she just observed and just the way she looked at me I thought she's reminding me of me when I was her age and how my brother was just annoying and you know (laughs) you know talking and doing stuff and she didn't it looked like in the picture she was staring out the window at one point, and she wasn't staring out the window at all. Her brother was staring out the window the whole time. She was staring at my legs and my shoes and my gaiters and yeah. my, like, looking at me. And just she would look over and smile, and then she'd look back down at my legs. And she had her little face just straight down because I had my feet up behind her. And she just kept looking at me, like looking at my legs and looking <laughs> at my face. And it was just so sweet. She didn't have to speak any words. 
I said hi to her and she just smiled and she didn't talk at all. And she was so good. She just, I was like, this is the perfect little kid. It reminds me, I used to be like that. I'm not, obviously when I grew up and I became a teenager, it wasn't a whole other story, (laughs) but it was just so sweet that I, you know, it's something she's going to remember the rest of her life. Cause I remember moments like that of people in my life. And it was just her observing everything that was going on with me. And she didn't have to say anything. She just kept looking, you know, and she was in, and I remember everything she had on. She had a pink little shirt and she had this little skirt on and like her little keen sandals that were all dusty and dirty. And it was like, she's such a cute little girl, but she's not afraid to get dirty. Look at her, you know, she's going to be an adventurer for sure. Yeah. So it was just sweet the way Dave read it and just observed it because he was sitting way on the other side. He wasn't, him and Jay were next to me. I sat like by myself on one side and for some reason they were on the other side. I don't know. <laughs> probably, Maybe probably smell. They were sitting oh, together. No, I'm just <laughs> <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> but I wanted to put my legs up. So that's how I ended up there because behind the row of seats that were facing sideways was where she sat. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was just a moment that I needed to have that and just reflect on where I came from as yeah. like a little girl and then where I am t- now. And it just, you know, and I, you know, I hope little girls can look at me and say, wow, I want to run like her, you know, cause I, like you said, I am kind of a character and colorful and little girls love all that, the colorfulness and, you know, I like Hello Kitty and girls. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It shows little girls like you can run, you can do stuff. And I have a niece that's totally into running now because, you know, she was never into running her, my brother's divorced and her mother and her stepfather, they're not into exercising at all. And just from seeing all the stuff that I do and me giving her all these race shirts and she's like, you know, she was on the track team last year at elementary school and now she's run the fastest mile at her school. And, you know, she's just like, she's going to be, Definitely a little track star. Yeah. And then it's, uh, nobody's pushing her. It's just by knowing what I've done. And she's come to the finish a few years ago of a hundred miler. My brother said, this is really cool. He, Cause people were talking to me saying how I inspired them. Like when they were coming through their finish line. And my brother was like, this is so cool for them to hear this side and know like about you without, you know, they haven't been to any events like this. And to hear all the other women coming up to me and saying that I inspired them. It was like, that's really cool that they got to hear all those stories. Yeah, that's cool. You, you make running look really fun and you know, I know it is. I mean, (laughs) torturing ourselves out there, but it's, you know, when I dress colorful, I'm not kidding. It makes me in a better mood. And I have had runners that say to me as they're passing me, they're like, I was having the, like, the worst time. And then I look at you and I just have to laugh and be like, yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause you're so colorful and it makes you happy when you pass me. It's like, no problem. Yeah. Well, you know, and that, I, I just your mood. totally. And I think it's really important for kids like this girl to see. Cause it's like, I don't know. You almost growing up as you always see adults and adults, you know, they sometimes not always, but sometimes seem like, <laughs> the passion for life is gone. And then to see somebody yeah. who, you know, I mean, the, the, this girl didn't know you just did this crazy adventure. You know what I mean? But there nope. was some sort of like aspect where she could just be like, you know, this person's just doing exactly what they want to do with life. And I think that's so incredibly important. It is. And like I said, that's just how, the way she looked at me. It was just like everything 
was just like, wow, you know, I had like unicorn little gaiters on and arm sleeves. And so she was just fascinated by it all. And yeah. she'll remember that. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, one day she'll be like, oh, that was an ultra runner or whatever, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's so cool. That's awesome. So next, you are you uh, still ready for the, signed up for the tr- 200s? I am. Yep, the triple crown. Triple crown. So, what's the uh, what's the kind of like, real quick? What's the training schedule for that? Or is you know, I mean, I guess you just did this three hundred <laughs> mile thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I'm pacing, and I'm the crew chief at Badwater on Monday. So my friend Gabby is running it this year, and she was on my crew last year, and I ran it. So, basically, after that, I'll just do some more, you know, just, I've been doing running every day. I, I'm on a running streak and I'll just be doing runs and Bishop. Now I'll be in the mountains. Cool. So I'll be able to take some time after that and just do some couple of weeks of some, just going up to, you know, 13,000 feet and doing blasting down the downhills, get my downhill legs ready for Bigfoot. Cause it's, it's a pretty brutal course. It's very, technical because you're running around you know mount st helens and it's all volcano rock and i did it last year and i only got i don't know how far we made it like 50 miles because my boyfriend phil got really sick and was dizzy and we were together and i thought i could keep going on but he's not you know he's not doing well and so and that's how kind of i am with a race like you know what i would give up my race if somebody was not doing well and i needed to help another runner out i would definitely stop and he was not in a good place he was like gonna pass out we had to stop and rest and kept having to lay down and so by the time we got to like mile 50 or whatever i'm like i can make him have to wait for a few days for me to finish or you know what i think it's better option that i stay with him because i don't know what's wrong with him and if he needs to go to the hospital or so i bailed out i'm like don't worry about it he's like no go and i'm like no yeah Especially when he was having these dizzy spells. He ended up going to the doctors later and it was just stress. He was under stress and he hasn't been sleeping because of his other job. And so yeah, that's kind of what happened with him. Gotcha. So, so you're so back. I've been on the course. I know I am yeah. on the course. I'm totally ready for that. I know I wasn't doing the Triple Crown last year, but I have done Tahoe and I have done Moab 240. So now this will be a challenge because they're all a month apart. And it will definitely be a challenge. So, and I'm going to go out and mark the courses with Candace for Tahoe and oh, cool. for Moab too. So that'll be training. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, go out yeah. like a week or two ahead. So I'll be getting mileage in then training. So yeah, the, yeah I just feel like, you know, everything I do is always training. So yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Training. That's like the best way to approach it. You know, if you're just it every is, day is that's training. That's why I started running all these hundreds. I'm like, I'm always yeah. ready. I don't need to say oh i'm gonna decide because i'm always ready yeah and unlike you and people that have kids i don't have to worry about that i don't have kids i only have truman yeah <laughs> my dog so. you got to give a shout out to truman really quick though because oh my god yes <laughs> i mean he's done 50k so i always tell people if you want some inspiration to do an ultra look at this guy nine pounds wiener dog <laughs> People didn't, somebody didn't give him the memo that dachshunds aren't supposed to be able to run far because he never received it. That's awesome. And he was afraid of life the first six and a half years. I mean, I adopted him at six and a half years old. Yeah. And he couldn't even walk around the block. So wow. I built him up and trained him, and he just, like me, he had a passion for running. And he's now 12 and a half. So I noticed, actually, this year after his last 50K, he did his fastest time 
in January at his last 50K and started slowing down, I would say, in the last four months. So my vet said that he has a slight heart murmur. And I said, well, should we stop him from running? He goes, no, keep him running, just cut his miles back. But I can tell he's starting to slow. Like he used to be right there with me, and now he's on the uphill, he's fine. But when I start going downhill, he's always been a little slower on the downhill. Now he's a lot more slower. So I'm thinking he's, you know, I don't take him past, you know, up to 15 miles I can take him, but I'm keeping him more like under 10 miles. He's still doing about 35 miles a week, but we just don't, he's not doing the long runs. Yeah. You know, because I want him to be able to live a a lot longer. And I even asked my dad, I said, is this going to make his heart murmur worse? Am I doing something wrong? And he goes, no, actually, keeping him running, but, you know, cut his mileage down. He goes, he's going to be fine. He's better off. You know, you don't want to just stop him. He's an athlete. Yeah. And my vet is a great vet because he totally encourages everything Truman does. And we have him on different supplements and some amino acids to help with the heart murmur. But he goes, yeah, he's probably just going to start slowing down. That's, what they do when they get older. Wow. So I'm like, I want him to live at least for another six years. He's 12 and a half. Yeah. So he's like an inspiration to all to dogs. <laughs> he is. I mean, like I said, he still goes and he, he goes up, and, you know, he's gone up 14ers. He's going to go up a 14er when we get moved into Bishop. Cause we live not far from one where you can drive up and then it's only a 14 miles round trip to the 14er. So, that's so cool. That's cool. Well, real yeah, quick, so. um, where can people get your book? Uh, you know, like I said, I'm I'm partway oh, through can... it right now, and it's really like I'm really. I think it's a really inspiring, really good book. So awesome, good. I'm glad you're liking it. Yeah. So they can get it on Amazon, or if they want to order um, uh, autograph co- copy directly through me, they can email me at dirt diva three 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 at gmail.com. Okay. And I'm out of books right now, but next week I should have another shipment. Cool. I, they're holding um, all my books at the warehouse, but once I move, I'm going to have them all shipped over to me because I have a lot of copies that they're holding. So I'm like, uh, so yeah. So that next rocks. week I should have more. Awesome. They can order through me if they want to get an autograph copy. Cool. So it's called Reborn on the Run. And that's right. And I got to ask real quick, what's harder, a 200 mile race or writing a book? <laughs> writing a book 200 <laughs> mile I tell people 200 mile races are easier than 100 really it's a fact <laughs> the finishing rate in a 200 is way higher than 100 well I know that's what Candace has said yeah which is super cool I'm trying I convince everybody they can run a 200 trust me it's way easier you you take it on as a mind of a fast pack like you're in the wilderness doing multiple days and taking some a couple of naps Okay. <laughs> and you eat along the way because you're good. At, you can be up to five hours away from an aid station. So you've got to be kind of self-supported. And then when you get to an aid station, people sit down and they make your food to order basically there because they're not going to have a bunch of food sitting out because it would go bad. So they'll whip you up a vegan burger while you're waiting and then you eat that. And if you need to take a nap, they have these great sleep stations at, you know, different areas along the course and the, aid station captains and people like that will wake you up after a couple hours. You know, you just tell them what time you want to get up and they write it on the clipboard and they're on it. It's so organized and it's just a fun way of being out in the wilderness. I really, really enjoy the 200. That's my favorite distance actually. That's so cool. Sweet. Well, Katra, thank you. I wish you the best of luck. I want to hear all about the triple crown. So 
That's super cool. Yes, you will. Okay, it sounds good. Well, thank you again. Thank you. All right, see you later. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Uh, all right, that wraps it up for the week. Um, join us next week. I've been kind of putting some of the podcasts in the bank before I head back to school for my regular job as middle school science teacher. Um, so we have a lot of really cool, interesting guests coming up on the show. I probably have like five or six um, already recorded that I'll put out over the next few weeks. Um, guarantee you guys will enjoy them. They're stories of adventure, inspiration, kind of mindset and motivation, um, things that hopefully, like I said, you can apply to your lives and um, selfishly, I can apply to my life as well. Um, but yeah, so big thanks to Katra. Once again, her book is called Reborn on the Run. Um, check it out. It's really good. I've been really enjoying it. I'm like halfway through it right now. Um, so, so yeah. And then we were talking earlier about choice in the intro um, and about the choices that you do have control over. And I just want you to keep that in mind this week. Um, just start thinking about what, what in my life, what areas am I in control? And I always think like I'm in control of my um my reactions like how do i react to things is completely under my control you know if i wake up and uh for instance this did happen this week the cat gets sprayed by a skunk <laughs> and i wake up at midnight and i'm like what is that smell and then i put my face in the cat and then i almost pass out because it's terrible um I'm in control with what my mood is going to be like in that instance. Um, and I'm in control of my actions. Obviously, I don't want I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to wake up at midnight and then have to somehow figure out how to bathe the cat. Um, but that's the circumstance I'm in. So I always try to think and try to be conscious of how I am reacting and how I am responding to whatever the situation may be. Um, if you're in a job and you don't like your job, start start make an actual list. Like what in this job is completely outside of my control? That way I don't have to worry about it because there's nothing I can do anyways. And then what aspects of the job are completely in my control? And just by writing that list down makes you more aware of it. So maybe next time a circumstance comes up and you're, I don't know, your boss says something mean or I don't know. I don't know what jobs are like, uh, <laughs> but you're in a situation and that happens. Now, if you have this list of like what's in your control and what's out of your control, if it's something out of your control, you kind of just let it wash off your shoulders. You know what I mean? Kind of like you kind of just like, well, I can't control that anyways. So what's the point of getting upset about it? what's the point of wasting energy on that? Um, and I found that helpful. And obviously, like, I'm not perfect at this. Like, I have moments where I, you know, something happens unexpectedly and I get frustrated and I lash out or whatever. Like, we all do that. But at least becoming more aware of this can maybe make a dire situation kind of seem more, more manageable, I guess. So, I don't know. Something to think about this week. Uh... 
yeah guys join us next week um i will be talking with justin simone the long ranger and if you don't know who he is he's last year he did this thing called the highest hundred and he rode his bike all powered on his own feet he rode his bike and climbed the 100 tallest mountains in colorado uh really ended up being 105 mountains uh over two months so uh fascinating story fascinating dude um really cool fun adventure story with a lot of really good kind of mindset stuff we can apply uh in that one so that'll be next week uh this week once again Katra, you rock she's in the middle of death valley right now actually um crewing someone through bad water and then she's about to take on the triple crown of 200 so she's just like one of the most experienced ultra runners i've ever had the opportunity to run with and ever had the opportunity to meet so uh super thankful that she sat down and shared some of her story with me today all right, guys, we'll get back at you next week. See you.